Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man whose release fee you could not afford. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. It's $700 million and $1, correct? That's what we agreed upon? <laughs> That's what Arsenal bid. That's what Arsenal bid. <laughs> if they bid that, I would expect you to sell me, Daryl. <laughs> so we have some Leo Messi transfer um, updates to share with you. We have some mm. other transfer rumours and updates. And we have five magnificent listener questions, including one about Rose Lavelle's dog. We cover it all <laughs> on today's Total Soccer Show. Taylor, I'm going to kick us off. With the messy news. Um, obviously, nothing official has happened yet, but there's been a report in the Daily Record, which is um, a tabloid in Scotland um, from journalist Duncan Castles, that Manchester City, um, so actually City Football Group, not Manchester City, mm-hmm. and Leo Messi have more or less reached a deal. Strange times, because as I've said before and will continue to say, I still can't move away from the idea that this is just messy posturing for for more control and a better deal and yet it does feel every single day like we're moving towards him playing for manchester city and then maybe nycfc at some point and i will still be like but let's see if he ends up with barcelona this feels like a step towards it does the the reality you can't imagine messy in sky blue one way or Mm -hmm. another right so here's the details according to duncan castle's sources he says he's got sources within the club um, apparently City Football Group, which, if you don't know, is the, you know, the big parent group that owns Manchester City, NYCFC, I believe Melbourne City um, in uh, Australia, and I want to say almost more or less owns Hirona in La Liga. Um, yeah. They have offered Leo Messi 700 million euros, it's about 620 million pounds, over five years with City Football Group. Um, and the expectation is that he'll spend like, say, three or so years with Manchester City. And then um, the final two years, he'll move to NYCFC and play in Major League Soccer. Bit flexible on that. And also the possibility of taking an ownership stake in City Football Group itself. That's a pretty sweet deal if you're Leo Messi. That's more money than he makes now, I believe. Unless we all switch to solar power really quickly and suddenly uh, Abu Dhabi <laughs> is in trouble. Yes, I think it's a pretty sweet deal. And it makes... Get that oil money of- while it's still flowing. Exactly. Uh, it makes a lot of sense for both parties because for a city football group, you get... Lionel Messi to come play for Manchester City and then potentially play for NYCFC. And as many people have pointed out, they are sort of a sleeping giant when it comes to MLS. If they get that stadium, they become an an automatic destination for people who want to play there. Lionel Messi being there certainly does that. And for Messi... Yeah, the countdown countdown clock would start on building the stadium, right? It would be, we've got to build this thing in three years. Yeah, I don't think you want him playing in your rival stadium for uh, CONCACAF Champions League games and things (laughs) like that. But then, yeah, for Messi, it gives him, not that he was hurting financially at all. We've seen the Pepsi commercials. We know he's rolling in Pepsi cans. (laughs) I assume that's how he's paid. Uh, But for the percentage ownership and then obviously the ridiculous amounts of money being quoted, it makes sense. And then it makes especially makes sense when you sort of read behind the scenes of how much seems to be going wrong at Barcelona and how unhappy he seems to be there. So 700 million euros over five years. I got my calculator out. I know you did the same. And when I say calculator, I mean, I clicked the calculator app on my phone. Obviously. (laughs) Um, As a weekly wage, 700 million euros over five years comes to just under 2.7 million euros a week, Mm -hmm. which seems insane. He's got to feed his family, Daryl. He's got to feed his family. But also, if he's going for like an amount after tax amount, mm-hmm. then I guess it makes sense, right? I do know 
the National Health Service in England will be much better funded after this deal. <laughs> Every hospital gets a new wing called the Messy Wing. I think they probably shouldn't call it that. <laughs> uh, but yes, the, the Leo Wing. How about that? The Leo Wing. Yeah, the Lionel Wing. Yeah. <laughs> and it'll always be to the right side of the building, uh, but everything goes to the left. Yeah, exactly. It kind of goes where it wants. It, it kind of like pops up in different spots, and you've just got to be okay with it. It's, it's part and parcel <laughs> of having the Lionel Messi Wing. When we talked about this off air, Tally, you also noticed that, you know, this is being reported as 700 million euros over five years. Yep. This is Leo Messi's wages. That also happens to be the exact amount that mm-hmm. we've all been talking about as being Leo Messi's release fee, which, of course, Messi and his representatives are arguing with Barcelona um, that that no longer applies. So right. is that just a coinky dink? No. I don't think so. No? This, this is where it's little things like this. I am very aware that I'm probably wrong, and there's a decent chance he is playing for Man City next season. But I still have these little dots that I can connect, a la Pepe Silvia and Charlie, Charlie <laughs> Kelly, uh, to show that maybe this is just him very publicly posturing. Or at the very least, it's, sort of, it's him being okay with the move, but also trying to force Barcelona's hand. Because that number does not seem like a coincidence to me. It seems like this is the money that they can pay me. They're not going to worry about a transfer fee. Don't you worry at all. And they've said they're not going to pay that $700 million or they're going to pay a reduced amount at most. But it does feel still like a little bit like he is okay with going to Man City, but okay with staying at Barcelona if sort of everything really, changes the way he needs it to. You're really clinging onto this. Who's your source here? Is it Carol in HR? <laughs> It's a ghost town, Daryl. It's a ghost town upstairs. Um, <laughs> I do, I do like, know. Let, let me uh, mm-hmm. let me tell you this, Taylor. I do know. I've been reading um, in AS that yeah. uh, Messi's father went and met with Barcelona right. today and came out of the meeting saying, um, "We have reached no agreement." Right. Uh, so I, think I, the idea I feel of- like this could happen. This Messi to Man City thing, or Messi to CFG and then Man City. You know, it's the mixed discarude deal, but he'll probably play. Um, could happen. Yeah, I mean, I think it absolutely could. I'm just, I am less sold on the idea of, like, Messi's gone, that's it, it's done. But I think you're absolutely right. His his father went there today, and it seemed like his father was trying to find some ground upon which they could potentially leave, or there could be some agreement about him leaving. From what I understand, Barcelona's response to that, or their approach to these conversations, were, we will be discussing a new contract if that's what he wants, but we won't be discussing anything else about him potentially leaving. So Barcelona seemed to have drawn that line in the sand, and sand is kind of the operative word here, because (laughs) it could easily be washed away. (laughs) Well, I I honestly think this will end up in court. Um, and it will be decided by bird law, I'm so, pretty sure. Well, first um, of all, equally <laughs> equally reliable bird law. Let me ask you this, though, Daryl. Like, does this seem, like, not odd? Because it's a little messy. We always thought he was going to retire. But I guess, like, where I am now is I feel like this summer between the, the latest news about Gareth Bale and the news about little Messi, this is a genuine idea I've just had, and I'd like to hear your thoughts. Like, so often when a big club comes in to sign a player, regardless of how big that team is, if it's Bayern Munich or Manchester United or you name them, it feels like it's Barcelona or Real Madrid are always the ones, Real Madrid are always the ones who are going to come in and sort of be rumored with that player. And to some extent, I feel like those two clubs don't have to deal with their own players being pried away. And when they do, it becomes this protracted thing a la Neymar. Is this both of these clubs just sort of not being able to to let go of players that maybe don't want to be there anymore? Yeah. I think there's a status thing going on here, right? Like, I think when Neymar was pried away from Barcelona by by all that PSG money, um, we've talked about this before, right? So we won't go over it in too much detail. But Barcelona essentially, Bartomeu and Barcelona panicked and I think felt like a threat to their status. And it's why they kept spending 100 million euros plus on players, right? It was to prove that they could still 
take Liverpool's best player, take Atletico Madrid's best player, take that that up and comer from Borussia Dortmund that everybody wanted. I think they're still trying to prove that they're that they're top of the pile. And I think increasingly the just sheer masses of Premier League TV money coupled with the um, increasingly wealthy ownership groups in the Premier League means that Premier League teams might be able, and PSG as well, uh, might be able to start taking players off of Barcelona and, and Real Madrid. You might be seeing a little bit of a, of a sea change in terms of who's at the top of the pile. But then the, the steadfast refusal to accept that or deal with it because it, it goes back to that he had two weeks to, to notify them of his decision but then the season is extended so that's why that doesn't end up happening if you go with his his argument which I, to be honest I do like it, it, it just feels very messy and very much like Messi is trying to break up with his boyfriend and the boyfriend is like no we're not letting that happen we're taking you to court yeah, to make you stay because it would be another example of Barcelona losing a player they didn't want to lose right it would just yeah. it would look bad it would look bad for La Liga as well I mean the La Liga uh, did their schedule for the year and I saw there were a couple of posters that were put out um, advertising the Classico and it wasn't Messi and Ronaldo neither of them were on the uh, neither of them mm-hmm. were on the poster I mean so it's it's bad for La Liga to lose their um, their icons essentially right uh, it Ronaldo is but at the same Messi. time but there's like there's like a self-respect thing I guess is what I'm pointing at that like to go, again go with the like jilted partner analogy it's one part of being like if you leave me i won't be able to survive i will take you to court to keep you here it's like that's yeah. not a great look barcelona <laughs> like right. you're like it, it's much better to be no one is bigger than this club uh Mesquian club or whatever and mm-hmm. yeah you can go whatever like we don't care you're like we'll reinvest that and find a way to but it just seems like bartomeo and the board sticking to this position like there's no way to come away from this in my mind other than like you guys know you're the baddies right <laughs> like you're the ones who have made these mistakes that have sort of led to him wanting to leave and now you're trying to force him into staying when you're the reason he doesn't want to stay in the first place no arguments here no arguments here the it's final it's thing it's the final thing i want to note it's a conversation you and i had off air and i think this mm-hmm. was the thing you pointed out is the brilliance or the great thing about having a structure like city football group is that leo messi can be at manchester city yep for as long as he is worth that 2.7 million euros a week. And obviously he'll take it in British pounds, but you know. Um, and there'll come a point where maybe he's, what, 37, 38, and maybe yep. he's just not worth spending that much money on. He's not worth the financial fair play risk. And then City Football Group can just move, pick up that piece, move it to NYCFC, mm-hmm. right? And then it goes on the NYCFC books where financial fair play is not a problem. He's just right. uh, a designated player. And you can pay way over the designated player limit when, i think once you break that limit as long as mls approves it you can pay any player as much as you want and major league soccer isn't going to tell city football group or nycfc you can't pay messi that much we don't want him in our league because they do want him in that league so it would be hilarious if they tried yeah exactly right yeah so <laughs> that i think that's going to be the setup going forward i mean the galaxy just tried to straight up have like what a, a seventh dp i think it was <laughs> like like they tried that and mls almost let them go with it i feel, I feel like city football group bringing in Lionel messi for as much as they want to pay him they're just gonna be like yeah sure right yeah, away absolutely. you want him to be his own team you want to rename them the the, the new york Messi's? that's fine whatever <laughs> the hospital wing we wanted to be the Lionel wing but it can be the Messi's. that's okay i do part of i kind of look forward to watching the cooligans wait at least three years oh. for Lionel messi to come and then maybe he has a really good um, sort of late career flourish and he stays one more year in Manchester City and one more year at Manchester City. <laughs> there could I be some give, very impatient waiting. I would give so much money for them to get to interview Lionel Messi just because I think they would have 
the respect that and like the kind of nervous like i feel like he's one of the only players that would actually make them nervous uh but then simultaneously i feel like alexis especially responds to being nervous by maybe like going over the top yeah. so i feel like we'd get some really invasive questions that he has never got before and i would enjoy it immensely it might be what scoop is the whole deal maybe he'll go to that Australia <laughs> oh, I hope that happens. <laughs> um, let's move on to other transfers, because sure. this messy story is obviously still mm-hmm. um, in the works. We'll obviously keep updating you as things keep happening. Oh, and we do have a, a question on today's show about a different position on the field that Messi yeah. could possibly play. Um, other transfer rumours I've seen include Luis Suarez, part of the mm-hmm. Barcelona clear-out, going to Juventus to be teammates with Weston McKennie. What do you know That's about what he said, right? Taylor? Yeah, I mean, that's that's what he said, that he wants to go there to play with Weston McKinney. It's always been a dream of his. It has nothing to do with the money on offer and the fact that he, too, wants to flee Barcelona as quickly as possible. So I know Suarez has one year left on his deal. I'm guessing he wouldn't cost much. No, I don't believe he will. And I think the the coverage has been that players have already been by his house to say goodbye, similar to what they did with Ivan Rakitic. So it does seem like he's on the move. Juventus would be interesting. Many people have pointed out that puts him on the same team as Giorgio Chiellini, the yeah. man he famously bit. Uh, I also, they're, on, they're fine, though, right? I think they're on I'm good sure, terms yeah. now. Yeah, that was I think, a long time ago. I would guess they were on good terms pretty quickly after that game. Yeah. But Juve... Man, they're going to be a conundrum to watch next season because there's Ronaldo in there, there's Suarez, there are reasons to not like them, but then there's Lionel, or then there's Weston McKinney. Lionel Messi going to Juve would be a big deal for sure, sure but Weston would. McKinney will be sure uh, amongst good company, I guess. Um, another thing happening is Gonzalo Higuain appears mm-hmm. to be leaving Juventus. Um, so the Ju- Juve are trading a 32-year-old striker for a 33-year-old striker. Um, That's the dream. Higuain appears to be leaving Juventus and might be joining Inter Miami in yep. Major League Soccer. I've got a hunch that Gonzalo Higuain will absolutely clean up and score all kinds of goals in Miami or in Fort Lauderdale. But, you know, uh, but he will have one or two high profile misses and then everybody will make those jokes. Yes. Still, Um, I have enjoyed I am by no means like an MLS like like nerd. I'm not in the weeds, so to speak, when it comes to Major League Soccer. But I feel like I have a decent enough knowledge of the intricacies of the league that I have very much enjoyed people discovering for the first time the discovery claim process. Yes. And being like, wait, what is this? What is this thing? Because I think. At least every team in the league was rumored to have had a discovery claim on Gonzalo Higuain. It was DC so United. I read yeah. today that it was yeah. DC United, and that's who Inter Miami had to negotiate with. Mm-hmm. Is, is yeah. Higuain's brother still at DC? So yeah. Inter have broken up the family reunion, basically. I would say Gonzalo's brother uh, is at. I don't know how to. I don't know how to make it the other way around. You were, you were yes. trying to make Federico the big guy, right? There we go. Thank yeah. you. Um, I'm smart. <laughs> You sure are. You sure yeah. are. You mentioned Ivan Rakitic. Ivan mm. Rakitic has left Barcelona, so the exodus it really is happening, right? Yeah. And has gone back to Sevilla for 1.5 million euros, which doesn't seem like a lot, but then you get Rakitic's wages mm-hmm. off the books. So what, what I find interesting here is, even though Messi is the big, big story, right, um, there are still lots of uh, mid-30s Barcelona players on big wages who are being cleared out. So mm-hmm. the Ronald Koeman revolution is basically happening, but our eyes are all on Leo Messi and we're not noticing it. Yeah, I, I think that that is pretty true. Uh, Arturo Vidal is another one who they're, uh, I believe, in conversations with about either yeah. getting his salary down or just getting him off the books or making it so he yep. can move. And I, I, saw, be... I saw Ronald Koeman uh, put his arm around Ricky Pooj mm-hmm. um, and say, everything the light touches belongs to you. You are the captain now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yours is better. Yours is better. <laughs> yeah, so I think we will see... A different Barcelona for sure, whether or not Lionel Messi is there, and it seems increasingly likely that he will not be there. But 
to some extent, I think it will be a really interesting time because once you have that major personality go and then a lot of those established veterans, you're going to get a sort of chaotic, different-looking Barcelona that don't have as many certainties in the starting 11 as maybe they have in seasons past. Yeah. And so what that ends up looking like, how they play, and if it's a success, will all be fascinating to keep an eye on. I look forward to seeing them. I genuinely look forward to seeing them. I have... Two more transfers for you. One, I believe, that has since been confirmed. I saw it rumored when I was talking about Everton. Uh, I will say Carlo Ancelotti broke my heart. He has signed somebody who is not one of his uh, former players. But it's a very smart signing, in my opinion. Uh, Abdullah Decore of Watford has, I think as of today, agreed to move to Everton. And that is the final piece, I I think, in terms of him building that midfield the way he wants. If he does get Alan, if Hamas Rodriguez is there, then you've got Ducore coming in. That is a very formidable midfield in a way that it was not last season. I feel like Alan and Ducore between them cover a lot of ground. That's probably all the blades of grass covered. And then, not even that Hamas is a lazy number 10, right? He's actually Mm -hmm. a very lively, on the move, always uh, willing to make himself available, willing to be involved in the press number 10. So that's an all-action midfield. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I mean, I think And as we said previously, like I I think I'm mostly excited about Everton because our conversations have reminded me how good and exciting and fun Hamas Rodriguez is when a team is built around him. And it does seem like this team will, if not be built around him, be very much structured to put him in a position to shine. And I think Everton are going to be really, really fun to watch because like Richarlison, still there, very good. Like they've got a lot of talent already and they're adding logical pieces to it. Okay. Uh, What else? You said you got two more. I've also got two more. I'm going to see if there's any overlap. Uh, the rumor of Hector Bellerin leaving for PSG, just to say I'm, I'm sorry to our Arsenal supporting uh, fans and friends, because he does seem to be one that people have a significant soft spot for and yeah. seem to enjoy him being in that team. Uh, but yeah, PSG coming in with, I think, a £25 million offer. I mean, Hector Bellerin, one, is a really good footballer. I really mm-hmm. like him. Two, he has great fashion sense, right? He's always doing this something interesting. And it's never earrings. silly. It's always kind of like, oh, I can see how that works, even though I didn't think it would. <laughs> and then three, he's kind of a, just a progressive voice. He's very outspoken and interesting in that way as well. So yeah. it would be a shame to lose him. It will. Uh, I, I do enjoy that he has become the focal point for attacks from like anti-vegan people because he is so public about that. I think there's a photo of him smoking that had a million responses of like, oh, yeah, you care about your body, your body's a temple, and you're smoking, and it's just like, you guys can eat meat, it's fine. <laughs> like, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't have to be a whole thing. Um, one of the rumor I saw is mm-hmm. Reggie Cannon has been rumored for about five days now to be on his way to Boavista um, in the, what do the Portuguese call that league? The Primera Liga, I believe. Yeah. Um, I had a quick look into Boavista just to see um, how big they are. It turns out they're the most successful Portuguese team outside of the big three. So outside of Benfica, Porto, and Sporting Club de Portugal, um, Boa Vista are the most successful team. But they also were relegated in 2008 as part of a match-fixing scandal. Yeah. Um, they're back in the top flight now. And also, I'm not sure if being like the fourth biggest team um, in, in yeah. Portugal outside the big three is like being the biggest loser. You know what I mean? That's, I was going to say, it's like that's a little bit like saying, like we're the biggest soda outside of Coke and Pepsi. It's like, that's a pretty, <laughs> that's a pretty big statement. <laughs> So Zevia Cola. Zevia. <laughs> RC? I don't know what else is out there. There's some generic ones. Um, we do have a listener question that we might answer in the future about that Reggie Cannon move. And also mm-hmm. it hasn't happened yet. Uh, but just, just let you know that that rumor is out there. Um, mm. There's one more big one, Taylor, that I know you texted me about earlier. Ah, involves, yes. Um, not Atalanta, the other one. Uh-uh. Atlanta, P.T. Martinez. <laughs> Lots of rumors linking him with Al Nasser in Saudi Arabia. Uh, though there seems to be a little bit more fire than I thought there would be when it was just going to be smoke. 
I'll leave it at that. We'll see what happens. The interesting thing for me is that then Atlanta, I assume, would uh, spend some money on another DP, right? Arthur Blank doesn't sell players for money and then just pocket the money and not reinvest in the team. Well, the pocketing is the thing there, because from what I've seen in the figures quoted, I think it's more of a break-even type of transfer okay. than it is a we're selling him on for a lot more money than we paid for him. I think that's what they had hoped would be the case, but I don't think things have worked out so well. Obviously, with Frank DeBoer being there and no longer being there, things haven't gone maybe according to plan. So this could be them hitting the reset button a little bit. Okay. Uh, one final bit of transfer news, just a correction from our big transfer roundup show that we did on Monday. I talked very enthusiastically (laughs) about Malang Saar possibly playing for Chelsea. And you and I went back and forth for a while about um, who will be Chelsea's starting defenders. Turns out there's a very strong rumour that Malang Saar is going to be going on loan this year. He won't be with Chelsea's first team squad. And he'll possibly be going on loan to Bayer Leverkusen, which I don't think is in terms of paperwork part of the deal, but seems to be part of the agreement with Kai Kai Havertz going Mm. to Chelsea. But... Chelsea have no extensive history of significant numbers of loans every season, so I don't know how they're going to get that job done. I'm sure they can find a loan form from somewhere. <laughs> they just have to print another one. They just have I have to, faith. They I have faith have they'll be able to. Another one. <laughs> All right. If you want to watch lots of football, before we start listening to questions, mm-hmm. you could use today's sponsor. It is once again fubo tv thank you fubo for sponsoring today's total soccer show it is the tv service that taylor and i use it comes through the internet and it goes everywhere it goes Mm -hmm. on my tv via apple tv can also go through your roku or amazon fire or whatever else you might use uh, to stream it goes on my laptop it goes on your tablet it goes on your smartphone you can watch soccer wherever you go with fubo tv it's a landmark week in, in the, the Rockwell household, Daryl. We have officially reached our full capacity on our Fubo DVR 500 at 500 hours? hours. See, here's the thing. When you give the login to your tiny nephew and he DVRs literally every single NBA game, <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> it, 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 storage capacity goes south real fast. So we're going to delete some of those. But it's worth noting that I think he recorded every NBA game for like the last year and it only just wow. now filled up. There's been a little bit of policing, but not a lot. Yeah. So uh, it's a credit to Fubo that they have that amount of storage. They sure do. They also have an awful lot of soccer because they have they do. NBC Sports. They have Fox Sports 1 and 2. They have ESPN 1 and 2. Um, they have, uh, those are the big ones, right? BN Sports mm-hmm. is where you can find League 1 and La Liga. Uh, Everything. So BN Le- has like Turkish. There's some Portuguese in there. BN really? really allow you to watch all of the random leagues that you might not otherwise be able to watch. <laughs> I mean, I'll be lo- I might be looking for Boa Vista games. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I hear they're the uh, most successful team outside of the big three. I did read that on Wikipedia. Um, hmm, interesting. <laughs> so if you would like to, to get involved and use Fubo as your TV provider, we recommend the family plan where up to three people can watch Fubo at once. And as we always mention, uh, Fubo TV will not do an ancestry DNA test on you. You don't have to prove you're related to be part <laughs> of the family plan and share that login with three different people. I mean, that would be odd. And if, if it like came out with a little like finger pricker, I'd be a little bit concerned. <laughs> uh, but they will not do that. Uh, all you have to do is go to uh, fubo.tv slash TSS today and start your free seven-day trial. I always say that too fast, and it makes it sound like it's TSS today, all one word. <laughs> uh, it's fubo.tv slash TSS today and start your free seven-day trial. You will not regret it. That's fubo.tv slash TSS. Start your free trial today. 
Thank you, Taylor, for reading that. Mm-hmm. And thank you, Fubo, for sponsoring the Total Soccer Show and for providing me with hours of soccer entertainment. Twer my pleasure. Twer their pleasure too, I'm sure. Okay, we've got five questions we're going to answer, yep. Taylor. I love all of them, but one of them has to go first. If mm-hmm. you've got a question before we do this, please send to totalsoccershow.com slash questions. I have a question. You have a question. I do, but I didn't send it, so I guess we'll have to wait till later. Yeah, just text it to me later. That's fine. Okay, cool. Um, today's first question mm-hmm. comes from Sagar Surumagiri. Um, mm-hmm. Sagar wants to know, is the Tiago Alcantara turn the same as the Cruyff turn? Or no. is there a different type of skill involved in Tiago's turn? Yes. Is the Tiago turn quite a common skill, or is it something unique to him? And before you answer, Taylor, I just want to point out that I had noted several times that Tiago is very good at sort of turning the corner and getting mm-hmm. away from someone who's marking him in midfield. I didn't know he was doing a thing. And thanks to Sega's question, um, I found out that there's a very specific thing, which is the Tiago. T- it's known as the Tiago turn. Mm-hmm. That's what he's doing. I didn't know about it. I'm really excited to have discovered this. So thank you, Sega. <laughs> to have discovered it by someone telling you about it? Well, yeah, I, yeah. He made me go and look for it. <laughs> just that's just a little bit like Christopher Columbus discovering <laughs> discovering the other part of the world yeah. where it's like yeah maybe not so much but yes uh, for purposes of this question I think I've already given my answers which is that no it's not the same thing as the Cruyff turn but I do think it is a little bit of a different skill because it's a different situation in which it tends to get utilized yep uh, but I also think it is sort of a common skill but one that he is doing so consistently and effectively that it is unique to him he's doing it better than anyone else right yes um i would say to describe it to people there are sure. different variations on this i know taylor but there's there's a there's a basic one or a regular mm-hmm. one that tiago does right and what you've got to do is picture tiago in midfield usually with um he's like facing his own defender say he's got a um, an opposition midfielder in his back um the ball comes into him and he opens up and shapes as if he's going to receive the ball with the inside of usually mm-hmm. his right foot. Am I yep. correct so far, right? You are. And this is a normal thing to do, right? You just you receive it with the inside of your foot to control it, um, but you, you use your back to hold off the opposition defender, midfielder. So you, And then you would take a touch, and then you would decide what to do from there. And obviously, because you're doing that, the opposition midfielder shapes accordingly and sort of gets in your back and makes it hard for you to turn. But at the very last second, Tiago flips it around and he'll receive the ball with the outside of his foot and yep. he'll swivel his entire body um, and he'll take a touch away from you and sort of just get beyond you in this way that looked impossible. Is that a fair description of what Tiago's doing? It is. It, it is 100% fair and accurate. And then the only thing that I would add that I enjoyed, that made it even more enjoyable, is that he tends to check, if he's receiving, as you said, shaping to receive with his right foot, he's usually checking over his left shoulder, which I think if you're the defender trying to rush at him and close the space, you're going to read that as, oh, he's looking for a pass there. He's looking for space there. Oh, it's he's going to turn... He's going to turn into that space, so they will usually take a pursuit of slightly to Tiago's left, trying to cut off that option, and really all that's doing is to open up the space he actually wants to go when he does that outside of the foot turn. That's key, right? That's key to the the whole thing happening. Um, And I would argue that this is a skill that, uncontested, I could do like right now. I could go outside and fake receiving the ball with the Mm -hmm. inside of my foot, last minute, uh, change it so that it goes to the outside of my foot and I go the other direction, right? But I, I think if I did it in a game, it would be too easy to read. I think if a lot of players did this in a game, it's too easy to read and too risky. Mm-hmm. I think Tiago has practiced this so many times that he's got the 
the very last millisecond down to when you perform it and the speed at which he does it, I think it is unmatched by anyone else. And and in that way, it's only possible to do it at Tiago's level if you're Tiago. Yeah, I would agree with everything you said. I think it's also a part and parcel of the way Byron play and how many options they have that you can't really afford to let him have time and space on the ball but also, you don't tend to get the hunting and packs approach that's going to limit the effectiveness of this. Routinely, when I saw it done, at least in the clip that you sent me, that highlight of just him doing it over and over and over again, yeah. it is usually done, sometimes it's to evade pressure, sometimes it's to split two defenders, but more often than not, it sort of does that turn and opens up 10 or 15 yards of space ahead of him because nobody else has been there. And that's the thing I think he's trying to do and trying to uh, get into. It's so good. It, it, it feels underappreciated. I feel like the yeah. Tiago turn should be a thing that, I mean, one, I should have known about it. I really feel like it should have been celebrated enough that I should have heard the term Tiago turn at some point. He's gone, he's gone full uh, Paul Scholes Chavi for me in terms of a player who sort of later in his career I've only come to realize is brilliant. And now everything I watch from him, I'm like, how is this guy not an 80 million pound player that everybody wants? How yeah. are Liverpool potentially going to get him for 20 million? And yet that, by the way, that deal still rumored, still yep. hasn't gone through. And there's a has not. The rumors gone up, gone up a year, and it's been rumored that Giorgio Wijnaldum might be on his way to Barcelona. Yeah, which is there's, an interesting shakeup for Liverpool's midfield. Knowing that like rumors come from one of three places, it's really fun to try to figure out who's saying what and when. And I have enjoyed that suddenly Manchester United have become involved in the Tiago conversation, which is the eternal club that players use <laughs> when they want to sort of heighten the drama or maybe make that other team that are potentially going to buy them like consider it a bit more seriously. Just up the transfer fee a little. Yeah, it's, a, if, if you want to move or you want a new contract, just <laughs> have your agent say you're linked to Manchester United, and then that tends to work. And if you want to see the video that Taylor's talking about, the Tiago turn video i will put a link in the show notes um under this question i'm going to timestamp this so you'll be able to uh see the question and click the video underneath it starts with a slow-mo of it so you can really Mm -hmm. catch what he's doing ready for the next question taylor i am uh, just the final thing because i did i was a little bit confused by sagar's question in the beginning because to me it is from a technical standpoint and what's actually happening, it's it's very different from the Cruyff turn because the Cruyff turn is in step sort of dragged behind you and it's usually facing the defender. Yeah. But watching this clip again, because uh, I really did watch it to be like, am I missing something? I, it is, I understand where there's a little bit of confusion or why those two moves are similar in Sagar's head because it's it's tough to describe what he's doing. It seems very simple, and it can be very simple, as you said, but in the situation and knowing exactly how to pull it off with exactly the right force and technique and angles, it's so difficult that there is a little bit of commonality there, yes. uh, but it is fundamentally different. Yeah, I feel like if Sagar had asked, is the Tiago turn similar to the Cruyff turn, the ultimate yeah. answer would be yes, right? Yeah. But Sagar's asking, is it the same? And it's that not the swivel. same, it's a different move, but there are a lot of similarities in terms of the disguise that's on it and the change in direction on it mm-hmm. and how confused defenders look after it happens. <laughs> Yes, also that. That's that's a key that's a key aspect of it. Uh, so yes, that was my final point there. Next question yeah. uh, comes from Joe Jadlowski. What are some unwritten rules of soccer which, if broken, would cause as much consternation as did the Padres' violation of the unwritten rules of baseball? Okay, so the unwritten rules of baseball. What? Yeah. The, the, I'm, I'm very aware there was a thing that happened about a week ago. Mm-hmm. where somebody broke the unwritten rules of baseball. Can you give yeah. me the background? And maybe we have other listeners who are as baseball ignorant as I am. I mean, I am pretty baseball ignorant, and I think what tends to happen whenever I talk about baseball is I get it 30 to 40% right, and then I usually hear about the yeah. other 70 to 60%. Taylor but I'll do my at best here. 
There you go. Uh, the gist, without getting into too, too specific of information, is basically that there are unwritten rules of baseball for how you're supposed to play and how you're supposed to approach it. In this case, it was if you are... Uh, if you're the batter, your team is very much ahead. Uh, in this case, I think bases were loaded, and you have a 3-0 count, which means three balls, no strikes. The pitcher's going to have to throw effectively like a softball, a, a very easy-to-hit pitch because he's got to make sure it goes across the plate. But the unwritten rule is you do not swing at that because you're already ahead. It's sort of ungentlemanly, I guess, is what you'd go with. Player swings, hits a grand slam everybody's mad. But there's a lot of these types of things. You don't walk, walk across the pitcher's mound. Uh, there's the obvious one. You don't talk during a no-hitter, or you don't talk to the pitcher during a no-hitter. You don't bunt on a no-hitter. You don't steal signs. There's lots of things in there, because I think baseball is a much more sort of codified like sport that is, you know, you're playing it in stages. You're playing in innings. There's a lot of transition where players are walking past each other, but it's not like lots of action at the same time. I'm not trying to be negative of baseball. No, but I've I been think- to a baseball game, and there's not a lot of action. But yeah, but it's it's not. But I mean, if you're a baseball fan, you would say there is. What I mean is that you don't have as many fluid exchanges. Even football, like for as like set plays, and then you're punting. There's interceptions. There's fumbles. There's tackles. Obviously, there's a lot back and forth. It's a bit more organic, I would say. And soccer certainly is as well. All that to say that I think there are fewer unwritten rules in soccer because I think you don't have as many people standing around waiting for a thing to happen. Yeah, yeah. And in that time, you have to observe the proper protocol. Otherwise, you're doing the wrong thing. And yet there are some. So let's there get are. to the unwritten rules of soccer. I'll start with the one that I think is most obvious that most people will know about. Mm-hmm. And it's the idea that if someone is down with an injury, and I'm going to classify this, if someone is down with a bad injury, like clearly bad, mm-hmm. um, the opposition is supposed to kick the ball out of play to stop the game so that player can receive treatment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And that's, and that's where I think that's a perfect example because that's one where sometimes teams don't do that normally it's when there's a feeling that the other team is time wasting or if it's the 90th minute and they've got to try to get a goal they're going to press on and that is when you see the opposition the coaches lose their minds and there's yeah. a lot of back and forth because it's not necessarily a rule and it's why the referee it's hasn't stopped playing and hasn't yelled at anybody exactly yeah but it is a thing that we tend to observe. Yep. Similarly, the other rule would be that if uh, if I get really badly injured and I'm on one team and, and Daryl's team kicks it out of bounds, when play resumes, if it's a drop ball, my team is not really going to contest that. We're going to give the ball back to Daryl's team since they put it out because they ceded possession, so it makes sense to give it back. That's the other sort of yeah, unspoken this, rule of that unspoken rule. There is a great example of this. Um, it's an Arsenal-Sheffield United yeah. in the mm-hmm. FA Cup from 1999 is this ringing some bells taylor oh i i didn't even know about it i read about it today and i was fascinated oh i I mean i think i watched this possibly live or at least on like a highlight show uh that night so sheffield united player goes down injured i don't know who the player is uh ball goes out of bounds um arsenal um are supposed to you know by the unwritten rules are supposed to give the ball back to sheffield united right um instead Kanu throws it to overmars Overmars goes on a dribble and scores. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, it's 1-0 to Arsenal. Um, and I believe Arsenal win the game, you know, because there's, no, there's nothing in the rules that says you can't do that, right? And the only way this is solved after, you know, uh, a couple of days of debate is Arsene Wenger offers to replay the game. And the FA says, okay, we'll replay the game. So this is a Which... case of it's not in the rules at all. The tradition or whatever was broken or not observed. But they found a way to have an unwritten thing where you can just say, OK, I know that we won the game, but let's just replay it anyway. And, they, and that's what they did. I mean, Arsene Wenger really um, was the guy that solved what looked like a, an unsolvable situation. Mm-hmm. That, that would never happen today, right? 
Well, Taylor, a similar yeah. thing. Uh, not last season, but the season before. It's another great old man of soccer. Aston Villa versus Leeds in the championship. Hmm. Um, Kodja goes down for Aston Villa. Like, really, looks like a really bad injury, right? And it's one of those situations where all the Villa players are sort of gesturing at Leeds, kick it out, kick it out. Do you know what I mean? They're all sort of, they've stopped playing. They're all, like, making gestures towards the sideline, kick it out, kick it out. Um, instead, Leeds run down and score. Um, obviously, I mean, John Terry on the Villa bench is um, absolutely angry. Uh, mm-hmm. Dean Smith, the coach, is really, really angry. The way this is solved is Marcelo Bielsa tells his team, let Villa score from kickoff. Yep. So then Leeds have to stand still, I think except for one guy who makes a go at a mm-hmm. tackle. Um, the rest of the Leeds players stand still and Villa like slowly dribble straight down the field and equalise. And Marcelo Bielsa solved it that way. So that has happened a couple times in recent memory. I think Shakhtar Donetsk, there was a game in the Champions League when this happened, and they I, they either scored the goal and then let the opponent score or vice versa. But either way, a point you made there, a like another sub-unwritten rule to this one, as you just said, is that when that happens, there always has to be one player on the other team who tries not to let the other team score. <laughs> For some reason, there's always one who tries and gets like really frustrated with his team before realizing that all of them are looking at him like, hey, you're the jerk here, not us. <laughs> so to sum up, the, the two big rules I think we can both agree on mm-hmm. is if an opposition player is injured, you're supposed to kick it out of bounds. And then the next unwritten rule comes into play the next second, which is then that because you kicked it out of bounds deliberately yep. to help the other team, when the other team takes that throw in, they're supposed to give it back to you. Supposed to. Yeah, supposed to. Yeah, so, and it can be, and if people are new to it, it doesn't mean that they're just throwing it right back to you. Oftentimes it'll be like, I, if it's in our defensive third, let's say I'd throw it to Daryl, Daryl would hoof it back to the opposition goalkeeper. So you're giving them possession, but it's not as though you're giving it to them in a strong attacking position. The only thing I disagree with there is that I would um, carefully aim it at the opposition goalkeeper. Well, obviously. I would obviously. not use the There's word. no hoofing from There's you. no hoof. There's only clean Beckhamish technique. I have a couple more unwritten rules. Yeah, so, you want to stick with this one? Yeah, I wanted to just like highlight that those are the two that I think everyone will agree on. All the others are kind of, some people will argue that this is an unwritten rule or yeah. um, screw you, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a very good example would be don't overly celebrate once you're ahead. That is sort of a thing in baseball. If you're up 10 runs and you hit a grand slam, you're not supposed to like yeah. jump up and down and celebrate wildly. And I think we saw that with the U.S. women's national team against Thailand in the World Cup. Uh, and even there, you see the same debate of you shouldn't score. It's against, the, it's against the sort of unwritten rules of the game versus unwritten rules don't exist. Celebrate if you score goals. Yeah, and I think the uh, argument for the U.S. at the time was, mm-hmm. one, this is the World Cup. Yeah. Um, and two, we are here to be ruthless. And this is a show in everybody that we are ruthless and you should fear us. And I actually think that the celebrating the 11th, 12th, 13th goal was a part of making everybody terrified of the United States. It, um, it was. It, I think with that, though, like I don't disagree and I'm not trying to police people's actions or anything. I will say I've been on the other end of that and it makes you hate that team. Oh, yeah. So it does sure. sort of cement your status as a villain, which I think the United States was probably OK with being in that World Cup because the favorite is always going to be the villain. Absolutely. Yeah. But I, on the other hand, I have seen it. Right. Where, mm-hmm. where do you think the threshold is for when you should stop like full on celebrating? Is it four, four goals, now. five goals, six goals, seven goals? I think if you're up. After four. I think four you can still sort of celebrate, like, yeah, we did it. Like, you can feel like, you never know, things could change. Five is where I think you, you maybe ease off a little bit. So it's when there's just no chance of a comeback, basically. Yeah, because, I mean, that's the silly thing about baseball, I feel like, is that 
I've seen games go into the ninth inning with a team with like a 12-run lead, and then they end up losing. So it can swing really quickly. Yeah. Soccer, I think if you score your seventh goal in the 80th minute, uh, maybe you don't celebrate. And I would add another unwritten rule, which kind of goes along with that. Look at Coutinho. Uh, if you score a goal against your former team, an unwritten rule tends to be you don't celebrate against that yeah. former team. Even more so if you're still employed by that team. Also that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's definitely an unwritten rule. Don't celebrate mm-hmm. scoring against your former team. Some people break it though, right? I yeah. remember Manuel Adebayor when he scored for Manchester City against Arsenal and he went oh, the yes, he the field to do that knee slide. Some people yeah. will do it. Yeah, that was that was like... It's either you hate that former team and you are happy to like enjoy their misery, yeah. or you still have respect in your. There's very rarely a like, all oh, right, I used to play for you. My bad. <laughs> like, yeah. It's usually one or the other. So if you're uh, still on good terms with your former yeah. team, you don't mm-hmm. celebrate scoring against your former yeah. team, right? When Frank exactly. Lampard scored for Man City against Chelsea, he didn't celebrate. Yeah, yeah. no, I don't think so. I've got um, I've got a couple mm-hmm. more that sure. may not Me be too. obvious. Um, this is from Brazil. Do you remember Kerlan? So. Can I, can I jump in to say, I'm glad you went there because one of my thoughts was, I think there are probably more of these, but because soccer is so across the globe, I'm going to guess there are more localized ones. Yes. I texted Felipe Cardenas about that uh, to ask, uh, but he was busy breaking news. But yeah, <laughs> so I'm really excited to hear because I do think there's probably a lot more from country to country. Do you remember Kerlon? This is quite a long time back. He was a very talented young player who could do Vaguely? the I remember the dribble. name? Where he yes, could flip there the we ball go. up, balance oh, it. I know it's going to happen. He would balance it on his forehead and run down the field. Right? Oh boy! And it was perfectly within the laws of the game. It's an incredible <laughs> feat of control to do that. But yeah. the feeling in Brazil was that the unwritten rule is that this is not soccer. Yeah. And we are going to take you out. So what mm-hmm. happened is Kellen would flip the ball up on his head, start running down the field. Referee couldn't do anything, but he would get two-footed tackled. Like the, yep. the message was sent. One of the unwritten rules of the game is if you do this, we will break you in half. So I would say that's an unwritten rule is that you can't use um, an unorthodox method of controlling the ball that isn't basically with your feet. Especially, I would argue, when you don't need to. Yes. Because I think that's a thing that Neymar does a lot, and that's why he gets a lot of damage. And I remember specifically Nani playing for Manchester United when they were up like 4-0. He did that thing where like he received it, like a long ball he received by like jumping up in the air and controlling it like underneath his left foot with the inside of his right foot. And then he juggled for a while, and somebody just came through and cleared him yes. out. And I think it should have been a red, and the player got a yellow. Because the ref was sort of like, you know what you're doing, and you're inviting that challenge. So I agree with that. There's like a no showboating when you're yeah. uh, when you're up thing, but I think Kerlon would do this just you know if the game's one one, mm-hmm. he would do this as a method of getting down the field. Yeah, and then but I think and then he would pay comes... for it pretty quickly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a great example, though, Daryl. Good call. Do you have any more? Yeah, um, a few. Like I'm not, again, I'm not sure if you'll even agree. I'm sure people will will debate these. That like I think you're not supposed to. In the same way that a pitcher is not supposed to get mad if there's an error, like if they're not sh- supposed to show that anger, you're not really supposed to be mad at a player if they miss a penalty, especially in a penalty shootout. You don't see that like, oh, come on, man, you should have done better, even if maybe that player has taken yeah. the penalty when they weren't supposed to. I mean, that's just being a good to be a rule right? of. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. The other ones that are a bit more rules, uh, I would say, would be uh, you don't celebrate scoring a great goal when you're behind, necessarily. <laughs> like, if you have had a diving header from 18 yards out, you might do a fist bump, but you're not supposed to run off and have a choreographed celebration when you're I down 4-1. to one. I'd argue that that's not so much an unwritten rule as you just don't feel Common like sense. celebrating because you're losing. And then I think I have one that is a written rule, but I, I see enforced so like like uh 
seldom that I, to some extent it is an unwritten rule in my mind. Hit it's me. you you don't what's that? Hit me with it. Uh, you don't call an opponent off the ball via trickery. Uh, that thing of like if it's if it's me and Daryl we're on opposite sides that like uh, and we're going out for a header to be like. It's hard to explain how you would do it aside from yelling, like, leave it. And you're trying to convince the person that you're their teammate when you're not. Yeah. Sometimes referee, it is against the rules. Yeah, it's supposed it called, to be a yellow card. Um, it's called verbal obstruction, right? It is. Yeah. Yes. And sometimes it's called, but oftentimes I feel like people get away with it because the referee can't be quite sure yeah. or you could plead ignorance. But I think that's one where you will see that similar to the seal dribble. You'll see that punished later on by another <laughs> player if a player does that. Okay, some some basic ones, I think. Um, the captain being the person that talks to the referee, mm-hmm. I don't think is in the rules anyway. It is not. Right? But it is a tradition, at least, that it's the captain that's kind of allowed to have an in-depth conversation with the referee, whereas rest of the team can be told by the referee, I don't want to hear it, just go away. Um, mm-hmm. Another one that's more of a tradition, handshakes after the match. Obviously, it's not in the laws of the game that all players must shake hands and say well done after the match, even if you don't think that player had a good game anyway. (laughs) But that is a thing that happens, right? Handshakes after the match. Yeah, and even before the match, right? Because you'll hear that the controversy as well. Like, are they going to abide by the protocol and do the handshake, even though they don't like each other? You'll get yes. that uh, version of it too. At least usually that's more of a, more of a high profile game thing, right? We don't do that mm-hmm. when we play amateur games. And I don't think anyone does that when they play amateur games, but for TV, when you line up for the cameras, um, then you do it when you sort of break, right? When you go down the line mm-hmm. afterwards. Um, yeah, I, I did, Daryl, I should add, I, I did put this out on Twitter and we got a response that was, there's an unwritten rule of the game that it's always Paul Pogba's fault. And that <laughs> came from at G Soonis. I'm not sure what to make of that, but that, suppos- that supposedly is another one. <laughs> Any more before we move on, Mr. Rockwell? No, that's it for me. All right, let's go to our next. Oh, never touch the trophy. Never, ever touch the trophy. That's an unwritten rule. <laughs> never touch the trophy? Oh. Before the game, never touch the trophy. I would classify In that any as sports. superstition. Don't do it, Daryl. Don't do it. <laughs> okay, next question comes from Jonathan Nelson. Jonathan mm. Nelson says, In the Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo era, because of their excellence and the attention paid to them, who has been the player who has been most overshadowed and or underappreciated? So to give us a time frame, Taylor, I went back to essentially when the thing of Messi and Ronaldo having a duopoly on the Ballon d'Or started, and I pinned it at 2008 all the mm. way up till now with it only briefly being broken by Luka Modric, um, who had to win the Champions League and get to the World Cup final in 2018 to break up the duopoly. So who are the players that have been less celebrated from 2008 to 2020? Similar to struggling to remember a time before coronavirus, I struggle to remember a time before Messi and Ronaldo. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that is where my part of my answer is coming from. But I think to some extent there isn't necessarily one because I think those two have just been head and shoulders the best players on the planet. So I think it's tough to say like, oh, this player was in that category but never really got that conversation because I don't know if there's anybody who did it as long. Yeah. But I think there are players who came close. And I've got two sort of categories of player. The first would be players that played on their teams and allowed those players to do what they do. So say Sergio Busquets or Luis Suarez, Tony Cruz, Luka Modric for Real Madrid. And then the only other player that like players that have been great, but maybe not at that top level or not that consistently at that top level, the name that really stood out to me was Didier Drogba. Oh yeah. Cause I just, I remember that time period when he first 
I mean, I don't really remember him in France, but I remember him breaking through with Chelsea and how he he felt borderline unplayable. Yeah. That there's really no way to deal with this. He is a force of nature. He will score goals, but he's so good with the ball at his feet. He will shoot from anywhere and can put it on frame from anywhere. And was just the, he was a player that I was terrified of my team playing against. And that is sort of a a level for me when it comes to that stature of player. I'm scared when Lionel Messi has the ball. I'm scared when Ronaldo has the ball. I was pretty scared when Didier Drogba had the ball. I would add Robert Lewandowski in the same category. He's on my list as well. Category, yeah. uh, just a slightly later era. But mm-hmm. Lewandowski's 32 now, right? So he's only yeah. a year younger than Messi. So he's basically in the same yeah. um, age cohort. But you never think of him as the best attacker in the world because Messi and Ronaldo are around. Yeah, and I think it's because he doesn't do as much on the ball like he is just a very good goal scorer he finds himself in the right positions he is very good don't get me wrong and can do technically brilliant things but I think he he doesn't move up to that level because there's not that like oh Robert Lewandowski took on four people and scored a goal it's usually he scored four goals in five minutes that's (laughs) what he did I would also make an argument for Neymar um, if only because every time we talk Mm -hmm. about Neymar we talk about him being overshadowed by Leo Messi at yeah. Barcelona. Um, and it's, all, it's just always part of thinking about Neymar. You can never think of him um, outside of the idea that he wants to be considered in the Messi-Ronaldo bracket. And he's just like a centimeter underneath. You've, I think, I think the, the problem with Neymar is to be in that conversation of Messi and Ronaldo, you have to win stuff. And I don't mean individual accolades. Uh, Messi, obviously, with Argentina, less so. Uh, Ronaldo with Portugal, they get the Euros. Uh, but it's winning the leagues and very competitive leagues, and that's the mark against Neymar, I think. It's just that PSG are expected to win the French League, so it doesn't necessarily matter that much. It's not like, oh, he's done it again. Somehow they found a way to win it. That would be more so the case if Brazil won the World Cup or if, say, PSG won the Champions League, but they have so I think that's probably why he doesn't yeah. factor in my but mind even, as much. Even when Neymar was at Barcelona and winning mm-hmm. the Liga and true. winning the Champions League, he was then overshadowed by Leo yep. Messi, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I also think you can make a really strong case um, for Xavi and Iniesta. Uh, yep. Both came in the top three for the Ballon d'Or, but never won it. Um, and I, I think you could make a case that um, when Xavi and Iniesta play well and made that Barcelona midfield just unplayable right you remember um uh yeah. alex ferguson said they put you on the carousel and they just yeah. keep moving the ball around and around and you just can't once you get on you can't get off yeah i remember um, that because that was shortly after he decided to attack them and see what would happen yeah right so but when but when Chavi and iniesta play played their very best it provided a platform for leo messi mm-hmm. to do his very best right so they're exactly. always overshadowed by some magnificent messi performance even though they've provided the platform for it so I think there's a good shout for those yeah. two as well. And if Messi hadn't been around, I think you'd have seen Ballon d'Ors and Xavi and Iniesta being talked about as the best players in the world. Yeah, I think that goes, uh, the second part of that goes for Manuel Neuer as well. Yeah. There was that conversation for a while about will he be the first, first goalkeeper, even in the short list. I don't think he was ever gonna even likely to win it because Messi and Ronaldo. But there was that period when Manuel Neuer was hands down the best goalkeeper on the planet yeah. and he still has those moments. And I think... He, there was a shout for him. The other one who I think you could make a somewhat compelling case for if Messi and Ronaldo weren't around as a man who's won the Premier League twice with two different teams and the World Cup, it's N'Golo Kante. I think he is a player who everybody loves and yet still isn't sort of seen as that next level player who commands that next level respect. I think that's more a thing of being a defensive midfielder. Though. That's probably true. Yeah. What about Eden Hazard it's, it's and Kevin it's De Bruyne? Fair, Kevin De Bruyne more so than Aiden Hazard for me, yeah. Okay, because even there's even the disrespect from Pep Guardiola. Do you remember that? Um, he, no. He um 
he was like raving about Pep Guardiola in a press conference. And this mm-hmm. is the year when Man City won the Premier League most recently. You know, just talking about what a magnificent player he is and how he's unplayable and how you want him in your team all the time. Um, and a journalist asked him, is he the best player in the world? And Guardiola just says, you can't really talk about that while Leo Messi is still around. Right. That's, I mean, that's what it always goes back to. So, yeah, if they weren't around, then, yeah, you can talk about them because, by definition, they're not around. Yeah. Uh, with that in mind... I would go back to one I said very quickly, but Luis Suarez is similar to what we've already talked about with Xavi and Iniesta and Busquets. But also, like, I remember him with that Liverpool team when they came close. And he's another one who he really put that team on his back to some extent and has been a critical performer for Barcelona. It's just that when you're the team with Lionel Messi, it's always going to be Messi. Okay, I think we're in danger of just listing brilliant players. But um, I think the people we've just mentioned provide a really good snapshot of essentially players that could have been considered the best player in the world over the last, uh, what, 12, 13 years. But Mm. Messi and Ronaldo have always taken the mantle. I guess really we should salute Luka Modric. Yeah, (laughs) we really should. Pulling it off that one year. (laughs) We got to give it to somebody else. I bet there was like um, a Netflix style um, uh, Oscar campaign where where they went around and got votes for Luka Modric. I hope so. I would be okay with that. (laughs) Okay, before we move on, we have two more great questions to get to. But first, let's take a quick break to hear about one of The Athletic's newest shows. This is The Athletic Football Show. I think every football season is a big challenge in one way or another. Introducing The Athletic Football Show, an all-new podcast with me, Robert Mays, and a team of world-class NFL writers and analysts. We'll feature expert guests and our plugged-in beat writers from around the league. What Patrick Mahomes did in the last nine minutes is just absurd. You can subscribe now to The Athletic Football Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast provider of your choice. And stay with us all season long as The Athletic brings you what matters most in today's NFL. All right, and thank you to The Athletic for sponsoring today's episode and for existing. We appreciate The Athletic. (laughs) They're good for reading. If you want to read stuff, read The Athletic. Uh, Next question comes from David Holm. Uh, How crazy would it be to believe that Lionel Messi could transition his game at age 33 to deep-lying playmaker, the regista role? Is it crazy to think that Messi could be as good in the Andrea Pirlo role and still bring uh, championships to his club? I've thought about this a lot. And here's my answer. I'm willing to expand on it if he wants to go longer. It's not crazy to believe that he could do it and be really impressive in the register role and be on a team that won a title, but it would be a crazy thing to do to him because Leo Messi's key skill, I think he's probably better at than anyone in the world, maybe anyone in history, is dribbling at people from the top of the box, which mm-hmm. is the most dangerous thing you can do, right? To receive yeah. the ball outside the box, it's obviously the best defense. It's like the Fort Knox of places on the soccer field, right? It's the best defended place. Um, and yet he manages to go through people and score and or create magic with a little pass or with a one-two. It's the hardest place to do it. So why would you take him and put him in a much, much deeper role away from the opposition penalty area? To play devil's advocate, with the attacking options that Man City have, maybe that's the only reason is because he can sort of create things and it won't just be... like Because most of the time, if you move Lionel Messi to a more defensive or deeper position, you are, like by definition, going to sacrifice goals. He's not going to be doing what you're talking about. But if you have many, many other players who are capable of scoring many, many goals, maybe then it makes a little more sense. But then there'll always be the thing of, all right, we're, it's 1-1, it's there's 30 minutes to go. Um, Sterling and Sané are doing just fine, but then, oh, sorry, not Sané anymore, right? So Sterling and Mares or Sterling and Ferran Torres are doing just fine, but we need a goal. You'd be really tempted to say, let's get Leo Messi doing what Leo Messi does best. Yeah. yeah. 
My, like since we talked baseball, my analogy would be like you run into the problem of when the Yankees signed A Rod, who was a shortstop, and they already had Derek Jeter. They moved A Rod to third base, but then the question was, what happens if Jeter gets injured? You can't move him to shortstop, uh, A Rod, because if he does well, you have this same issue. So to your point, then I feel like you like almost have to rigidly be like, no, you will not move forward. We will not put you in attacking positions because as soon as you do, and if he looks good, it opens up that can of worms. Yeah. So I see it being more of a potential uh, hazard than a helpful thing. My other thought with this, and like I want to say up front, like I'm not saying Messi is lazy or even necessarily arrogant, but I do think old dogs can learn new tricks. I just think that they're maybe less excited to do so than puppies that are like, (laughs) what are we doing? I'm doing anything? Let's do it. Yeah, I want to do that. And I think Messi, having played for Pep before, having had the career he's had, to go in and, and demand he do something very different than what he has done for very much most of his career, I think it asks a lot of him. And there are players who I think would respond to that. I think Pep would have enjoyed that as a player. I think he would have been okay with trying different things and moving and doing a different position to see to further his education. I don't know if Lionel Messi's ever going to be a coach. I don't think he wants to be. And, and, with, and I think you have to have that sort of mentality for that type of positional change to work. I mean, Pirlo is who we're talking about. Pirlo is now a manager. But I think for Messi, we haven't heard him talk about how he wants to grow his education or learn more. Or how do they do this or learn this tactical innovation or anything like that? I think he plays his game and, and it works really well. That's a gross oversimplification, but I think you get at what I'm getting at, yeah. which is that I don't think he's going into Man City if that does happen thinking, okay, new opportunity for me to try new things. I think it's I'm going here to be very well remunerated and to do what I do. And Pep knows that. And here we go. And even if he slows down, like maybe pace becomes an issue, you can't play mm-hmm. in a high-level midfield and have no pace, right? You would sort of get exploited defensively, um, even if you're playing for Manchester City. And then mm-hmm. the other thing I'd add on top of that, I, I went heavy at the top of this on Leo Messi's key skill being dribbling at people like through the box because that's what he does better than anyone else. He's also an absolutely magnificent finisher. Right? If he was just a number nine, just a goal poacher, Leo Messi's scoring more than anyone else because he is mm-hmm. incredible in front of goal. Um, so again, I wouldn't want to take him away from that. Okay, so you and I have both gone deep on the reasons why a team should not do this, should not ask mm-hmm. Leo Messi to do this. Would you agree with me that if for some weird reason he wanted to do this, Leo Messi could do this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, honestly, Pep Guardiola is the manager to know how to do that as well. I think it's it's a it's an ideal combination because Pep uses players in different positions than they otherwise are used to playing. Uh, Ryan always, Ryan always gets frustrated with him for playing central midfielders as center backs, but that is a feature of what Pep Guardiola yeah, does in Mascherano, my mind. Right? He's done it his whole career. Yeah, Mascherano is, the, is a big one. He did it with Yaya Torre. Like he, he he does not mind doing that. He wants people who are comfortable on the ball. Fernandinho is obviously the latest example. So I think Pep could could easily All get right. uh, Messi and figure out a way to make it work. Can I refocus us away from Guardiola though, and just to sure. Leo Messi's specific skill set? So one of the things I'm thinking of is, for example, Thiago plays this position, right? Mm -hmm. Thiago plays this position. We open these questions talking about the Thiago turn. I'm imagining Leo Messi doing quite a similar thing. If he's receiving the ball um, in tight spaces in deep midfield, he's going to be able to do very similar things to what Thiago does. And maybe Mm -hmm. to a to a higher to a higher level, a slightly higher level in terms of getting himself out of trouble and making space. That would would be really useful if you've got a player who can get out of tight spaces in central midfield. That low center of gravity, man. Yes. yes. It allows you to turn people and especially sort of like marauding midfielders who are trying to close you down in open space. It's going to be a lot riskier for them to do that when it's Lionel Messi. Can you picture him hitting like big diagonals or through yeah. balls from deep? 
I mm-hmm. I can't I can't picture a specific thing where I've seen it happen recently, but I also can't picture him struggling with it. I mean, I can pick, picture Messi flying. I wouldn't be surprised if he can fly. He's never done that before. But yeah, I could picture him doing that. Yeah, I think I can, I can see that sort of the quick turn and almost instantaneous read of, oh, my right winger has gotten in that position. I'm going to hit this ball perfectly into the gap and drop it exactly where it needs to go. Yeah. I can picture Messi having that control of the ball. And if, if I'm putting him in a Man City team and he's playing the, you know, the former Fernandinho role, I guess you have to call it the mm-hmm. Rodrigo role. Uh, right now Rodri roll excuse me Um, Mm -hmm. I see it more as yeah Messi receives the ball does a Thiago turn to get away from someone and I see him playing like a a short ball to Kevin De Bruyne and then making a move through to midfield and getting it back so it's almost like he'd start in the register role but maybe he'd quickly work his way upfield I have an unrelated question but kind of related to what you just said why aren't Man City in for Thiago it's weird right I feel like they always should have been i feel like pep loves him he took him to Bayern munich i believe right so yeah he did maybe just he's gone all in on rodri so he doesn't need tiago there you go or maybe tiago just really does want a different thing i'm convinced tiago is going to be a very good manager in 10 years um so maybe it's that he does want that different experience but that seems like it would make a lot of sense but yes back to messi i can see him doing that like being capable of doing that i just don't know if he would love doing it are you ready for the final question on today's show sure an equally serious and important question. It comes from Julie Nishimura Jensen. Mm-hmm. Julie wants to know. Who we met in Philly. She came to our show. Yes, thank you, Julie. Thank you, Julie. Is Rose Lavelle going to be able to bring her dog, Wilma, to Manchester City? I know that there are serious pet quarantine regulations. Is mm-hmm. Rose Lavelle going to be able to bring her dog, Wilma, to Manchester City? We both looked into we, this, right, Taylor? We did. We spent a lot of time because we're both dog owners and we both understand the question and also the the stress that this would cause uh but i believe i feel comfortable in saying that yes she can bring her dog with her yes so you can enter the uk with a dog from the united states if your dog has been microchipped and then they scan the dog when you arrive to confirm that's that dog um has a pet passport uh, or, or some other sort of veterinary certificate mm-hmm. and has been vaccinated against rabies and has had a recent tapeworm treatment. And the US is on a list of countries that the UK will just let your dog enter if you complete those four steps. There you go. Yeah. I mean, there are, second to that, there are actual companies that exist solely to bring animals from one country to another. They know how to do it. They know the the bureaucratic red tape and how to make it happen. So even if there were a sort of temporary shutdown or something, I'm guessing there are companies out there that can find a way to make it happen. And if nothing else, like Rose Lavelle just flies charter and makes it work that way. (laughs) So my wife has done this for a friend of hers who was working in Germany, which has very, very similar, um, very, very similar laws. Germany? And it was, no. yeah. And it was a lot of paperwork, right? There's a special type of microchip that has to work with the readers they have at immigration. You, know, you have to make sure all your rabies and passport stuff is, is in order. And then essentially, yeah, there's a compartment on most planes, the transatlantic planes, where they'll keep about, I think, about seven pets. Um, then you just have to uh, put the dog in at one end, take the dog out at the other end, and then the dog immigrates. The dog goes through immigration with you um, and then you're at the other end and away you go. There's no quarantine. Um, If you go and you don't do all this, then you can be quarantined for up to four months, which I don't think. I'm guessing Rose Lavelle is way too smart to just assume that she can uh, take uh, Wilma Jean Wrinkles to give the dog her full name um, to the UK. Daryl, you, as you said, have done this before. On your list of things that you would uh, like wish upon your worst enemy <laughs> is transporting a dog on a flight one of those things because from what i recall you doing it it wasn't like it was 
like like particularly difficult. It just sounded incredibly stressful from start to finish. Yeah, and it wasn't even me doing it, right? I experienced it vicariously through my wife. Um, right. It's not quite on the list of uh, terrible things I wouldn't wish on people. There's a lot, a lot more other things. And we especially had the um, the advantage of the dog. We we were transporting. His name was Ridley, uh, an old mm-hmm. black lab. Um, he was very calm, right? So we had no worries about Ridley spending seven hours in the in the hold in the plane. I mean, it's you know, it's like air conditioned and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But a more stressed out kind of dog, I think it, I'd be worried about the dog more than anything else. Do you want to know an important thing I learned in my reading? You freeze their what their water. That's what you're supposed to do, apparently. And then so it they melts over it the course of the flight. Yeah, exactly. Ah, but then smart. it won't spill everywhere. Yes. Mm-hmm. I did. Another thing I learned in the course of this mm. is that Wilma Jean Wrinkles um, has her own Instagram. That doesn't surprise <laughs> me. <laughs> so she's an I would, I would, I would be surprised if there aren't several, one of which is run by Rose Lavelle, one of which or a couple of which are run by other people. <laughs> so Wilma Jean Wrinkles is an eight-year-old English bulldog. Um, mm-hmm. She's her occupation is listed as fitness model. <laughs> as a person who posts like almost exclusively dog photos on my Instagram, uh, I wholeheartedly support that decision. <laughs> and I was I was on the Instagram looking for evidence that either Rose Lavelle or Wilma Jean Wrinkles had you know posted anything recently about mm-hmm. being in Manchester, but all the updates are from about a week ago, and they're all um, still in the United States. Um, so I'm guessing that this has happened because the uh the fawsl kicks off pretty soon right so roosevelt should be in manchester by now um I'm, I'm guessing we just don't have photographic evidence just yet but i'm really confident that roosevelt wouldn't leave wilma alone for a whole football season right she would take her dog with her i would assume so i i then like we never this is gonna sound like a silly question but i'm gonna ask it anyway like is england a dog country yeah or are sure. they more like a cat country okay cool yeah, definitely. That was definitely it. a dog country. What do you mean by dog country? Just that people like dogs? Well, like like Turkey is a cat country for sure. I like see. everybody will feed the street cats. Everybody cares. Like I think that comes from the Quran. Dogs to some extent, but I think there are lots of like purebred dogs that have just been sort of kicked to the curb once they're no longer cute puppies that kind of roam the streets as well. Yeah. And I think keeping dogs is a bit more of a like seen as a Western thing, I guess. So like, not that England is like th- of the same standard, but more so just that like, I-, I am mindful of things that we do in the United States. Like, you know, walking two dogs every single day is maybe less easy to do in a place like London. I would say, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not actually not that tough in London because there's a lot of green space, right? Mm. London does a very good job of there being green space available for most people. If you take a short walk um, mm-hmm. or a short car ride. So I- I'd say it's really comparable to the United States in terms of dog ownership and, um, what the relationship is like between human and canine. This feels a little bit more like when I asked Luke Moore if you can drink the water in London, and he looked at me very quizzically. <laughs> I, this is brilliant. When I was in school in Ireland, which is where my wife, Shannon, I had a friend called Brooke, right? We had, we had a friend called Brooke. Um, she was American, and she was flying over to England the same time as I was from Ireland. Um, and we're in the middle of the flight, and Brooke's very funny. She leaned over, tapped me on the shoulder, and she asked, I have a question about England do you have tables in England? <laughs> Just deliberately asking weird questions about what we have in England as if Americans would be very unfamiliar with it. See, so I feel like where that's, I was that's quite that. similar to what you just asked me, I think, is where a we little have bit. dogs in England. 
and it's where it's where like Daryl is pretty straightforward. So I I was aware that asking that question was probably going to lead to like yes, they have dogs in England. But I do also appreciate that you've spent enough time with me that you will sometimes just wait for me to say the clarifying thing to the question of like, do you guys have tables there? Because that does feel like a thing I would ask. But then it would probably relate to like what comes to mind immediately is like the the love actually thing where table doesn't really show your accent at all. It just is the word. And I was like, well, do they call them different things then? That's where I would go with that. So, yes, that question resonated, just not in the way that you intended. <laughs> I think we should wrap things up, Tyler. You think? Yeah. I've got some more thoughts on tables. Just text them to me. It's fine. Okay. Um, sure. So we will be back tomorrow with probably more transfer updates or other news updates, depending on what's going on. And we've got more listener questions um, that we're planning to answer. One final thing. Oh, Taylor, I didn't tell you about this, but one final thing I just wanted to do is say thank you to everybody um, who has donated to the GoFundMe um, in the last 48 hours or so. Uh, my friend Kathleen, who runs the GoFundMe for all my uh, cancer stuff, she released an update a couple of days ago and uh, we had a lot of donations come in. I'm guessing like partly because of the Chadwick Boseman news. It's on everybody's mm. mind um, and partly because I'm you know, having some new treatment. But I noticed a lot of the names that were donating were Total Soccer Show listeners. So I wanted to say thank you to everybody who has donated. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I, I would echo that as well, and I'm very happy to hear that. I'm happy to hear that the, the funding continues to go well because it's necessary because uh, American medical system is what it is, and Daryl's paying out of pocket. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> uh, yes, uh, that is all very much appreciated. It did, like, awkward as it may be to ask, is it the same type? Because when I read what he had, it sounded pretty familiar. Yeah. I mean, he started okay. with, uh, Chadwick Boseman started with stage three colon cancer, mm-hmm. and it eventually became stage four, which means it spread yeah. to another organ. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. And we watched we watched Black Panther the day after, and I've got to tell you, Chadwick Boseman is in incredible shape for a man who's had chemotherapy. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, it's I don't know how he did that and how he managed to do that and how he managed to like conduct himself. It's this, honestly, it's the same thing you've done though, Daryl. But you you, but conduct you yourself. saw me you saw me play my first soccer game not long mm-hmm. after, and I, you know I was noticeably worse. <laughs> Whereas mm-hmm. Chadwick Boseman um, became king, so. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yes, that is very true. And uh, I don't think you would fill the suit out quite as well. I don't think you're quite as flexible either. But I will say that, like, if you had the the millions of dollars and the Hollywood support system around you, my guess would be that you all have a similar disposition in terms of handling it with grace, being steady about it, and dealing with it as best you can. So I think it's a credit to you that you've handled it as well as you have, even if you're not quite as jacked as Chadwick, uh, Chadwick Boseman. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, get to the gym, man. Get it together. I will. I will. I've still got a membership. My membership's just going um, without me visiting it because of coronavirus. I have also texted you my thoughts on tables. Have you? I just need you to know that. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll read those later. I'll put our listeners out of their misery, though, by saying, Taylor, <laughs> thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.